Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. That was a little funny moment in our, uh, in our prayer, prayer circle. That sounds very cultish, doesn't it? Our prayer circle. Um, we got a word for Sam. There's a house with a, a red front door. I said, does that mean anything to you? And he goes, yeah, I think my front door is red. I'm 99% sure my front door is red. I said, that's such a guy answer that I don't even know the color of my front door. I, I'm not sure I know the color of my front door, to be honest with you. I think it's black. Anybody know what color my front door is? What color is it? It's red. Thank you. Thank you. How's your head? All right. So he got, he's getting healed of a head. He had a massive head stuff. We got a word of knowledge that there was a house with a red front door. And he goes, I'm 90% sure that my front door is red. So confirmed. Thank you. Thank you, Kim. Word of knowledge and he's healed. Come on, let's praise God. That's good. That's good. How many of you wish you could get a word of knowledge like that for people? Like when you're praying for somebody, you get something. Like somebody in our group just got house with a red front door. have no idea what that means. But when I, well, I got the word. And I said, how, and I've never been to their house. Rummy has, but apparently got the front door color wrong. Yes, yes. Rummy's inherited my, my genes. Usually right, never uncertain. That's me. That's me. That's how I am. Usually right, never uncertain. Boy, does that cause conflicts in our house when you have two people that are that way. It's pretty funny because you raise kids who are also that way. Now you have three of them who are sometimes right, but never uncertain. And so we have some type A leaders in our house and we love it. Praise Jesus. But how many of you, like I got that word because we're talking about hearing from God, stepping out into the prophetic being an apostolic church where people are rising up in their spiritual gifts and being able to use them in this present age, in this real world. I just saw a house with a red front door. I've never been to the house. I don't know what that means. But as I spoke that out, it led to more that the Holy Spirit was giving me, and we actually prayed for him, and he's being healed. That's pretty cool, right? Now, can I be honest with you? This is not something that I've been doing all of my Christian life. This is not something that I just gave my heart to Jesus and all of a sudden I'm moving in this spiritual gift. In fact, I feel like I'm still very much a novice when it comes to the things of of the Spirit. But how many of you would like stuff like that where the Holy Spirit speaks something to you that may not make sense to you, but it's something that you could not have figured out by natural means? Well, I guess you could have figured out, but what I mean is the Holy Spirit is revealing something to you you did not previously know, and He's revealing it to you for the purpose for you to know and the person you're praying for to know that God sees. God sees their situation, and so when you pray, you know that God is intervening here. That's kind of the purpose of words of knowledge. Who would like to have stuff like that? Who would like to be able to get a prophetic word for somebody where you're actually to not only foretell what's going to happen in their life, but you could foretell. Do you know the difference? Foretelling means this is going to happen, and I'm telling you this is going to happen. Forthtelling means this is going to happen because I'm speaking this thing out. Some things in the Spirit, when it comes to prophetic words, only happen because we say them. And if we don't say it, then it doesn't happen. That's the way the prophetic works. I know this is not a message necessarily about the prophetic, but I'm saying who would like to to live like that? Who would like to have a word from God that when you speak it, it actually happens? I want that. I want to use it to speak blessing, not cursing. I want to use it to see people healed. I want to see it raise the dead. That's what I want to live 
That's the way I want my life to be. And once I've tasted of these things, and I am so much a novice in this area, when I've seen people who flow in this stuff, like really flow in this stuff, it blows your mind away. And I'll be honest, my first reaction to seeing people that were getting, I've received some prophetic words of knowledge over me that were so unbelievably accurate, I couldn't believe it. And I'm like, whatever this guy has to say after this point, I want to hear what he's saying because there's no way he would have known these things. We had one guy, we were in a conference of about 3,000 people of which we were not really known by anybody. I mean, normally I'm a pretty big deal, but at this conference, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. At this conference, nobody knew who we were. I'm upstairs with the kids um, while Romy's in the conference with, with the porters. And this guy gets up on the stage, gets a word of knowledge and goes, there's somebody here whose name is Rome, but the sound ends in an E sound, like Romy. We're like, what? Now, I'll be honest. If I was her, I'd be like, I don't know, maybe there's somebody else here. Who else could that be? And she's like, that's me. I'm Romy. And then he looks at her and he goes, is your husband an, an athlete? And she goes, no, but he's a former athlete. No, she didn't say that. <laughs> She said, is your husband an athlete? She said, yes. And she said, is he injured? And she said, yes, I was dealing with a major calf injury. And she said, he's going to be healed, and that's never going to bother him again. Can I tell you that every winter I go into marathon training for a spring marathon, and I've never been able to do the marathon because I keep getting the same calf injury every year. Well, in three weeks, I'm running a marathon because my calf injury doesn't happen anymore. I've not, been, I've not had that injury since that day. And it happened to me every year for three years in a row. Not only that, but then when I went forward to him and said, hey, I want you to know that everything you just prophesied was me. I'm the guy. And then he goes, great, because I believe in if somebody has a word of knowledge, you need to respond to it if it was accurate so that person can better discern the voice of God next time. You see, if I tell that guy, that word you got, this is me, this is my condition, that was on the money, then he goes, well, I remember what that sounded like when I heard it. So next time I hear that, I'll better recognize my father's voice when he speaks to me. So it's always good to say, hey, that was me. Okay, Don't just sit there and go, I know that's me, but I'm not going to say anything. Tell the person. Make sense? But then he began to prophesy some other stuff to us that was very interesting that I think is going to come into play a little bit later on in my message here. But I'm asking you, would you want a life like that? Not so you can put it on display and develop Clayton Ritter intergalactic ministries of the prophetic. That's not what I'm talking about. I just mean where you can so see into someone's life that God will reveal to you exactly what they need for that particular moment. And you can speak a word over them that's not just a great advice that you came up with with all of your study of God's word, and though you can, that's important, but a word directly from heaven for that person that can change their life. I want to live that way. Well, see, what we're talking about in this series, the fruit and the flow, is creating the kind of flow in our lives where that kind of an interaction is now normal. You see, the normal Christian life is not one of trying to do good, coming to church, paying your tithe, encouraging the preacher, singing songs, and then going back and coming back the next week. The normal Christian life is a heart that overflows with the fruit of the Spirit, which overflows from the Holy Spirit that has more than enough life and love for you and all of those around you. That's normal. Why has that become the abnormal? Why is it that when we see prophetic people and healing evangelists that we go, wow, we've never seen anything like that before. I want to see it made normal. I want to see it normal that when we lay hands on the sick, they're healed. Do you know how many people got healed that Jesus laid hands on and prayed for? All of them. Do you know what they got healed of? Everything. When Jesus laid hands on the sick, everybody got healed of everything. I want that kind of life. Jesus said, you can have it. But I want you to understand that it's the natural state of a disciple. 
is that rivers of living water would flow from us. It's the natural state. So if that's not the case that we're living in right now, something can change. It means something's wrong. It doesn't mean something's wrong with you. It means that something is stopping the flow. We used this verse last week, John chapter 7, verse 37 through 39. Jesus stands up, and on the last and greatest day of the festival, he stands up and says in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. I, I wonder sometimes, am I thirsty? There's a sign out there that says Thirsty Thursdays. We were laughing about it earlier. Um, about something else, but I looked at it and went, am I thirsty? Because you don't get a drink if you're not thirsty. When I see people like this guy get that word of knowledge, can you keep the scripture up there? When I see people up there with those kinds of word of knowledge, it used to make me think, no way. Now it makes me thirsty. It makes me look at that and say, God, I want that. I don't want that person's ministry. I want to hear from you like that. What do I have to do to be able to hear from you like that? What is it I've got to do to get to the place where I am walking so intimately with you that your voice is the most familiar voice in my heart? I'm no longer hearing the voice of the, of the critics and hearing the voice of the, the people who are, are just trying to keep you in your place. I'm no longer hearing my own voice. It's just repeating the lies that the enemy said to me. But when do I get to the place where I'm so familiar with your voice that I know when anything else is not that voice and where I hear your thoughts for others and when I hear your thoughts for me, that it just drowns out every other negative voice in my heart. When do I get that? Because whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. You see, this begins with a thirst. Are you thirsty enough to even seek out the water that you need? Have you ever... I remember... Um, <laughs> I'm getting off track. None of this is in my notes. Help me, Jesus. We went and played paintball about two years ago. Paintball, right? I don't know if you went on that one. We're out in the field, and I have a tendency to take things a little bit too serious sometimes. So I'm, uh, you know, I'm rushing in, and I'm running, and I got my first official old man injury. I, I pulled my hamstring as I was diving across the field. And when I dove across the field and pulled my hamstring, a couple of the guys came up next to me, and I sat there and I went, guys, I don't know why, but I'm about to black out. And so the next thing I know is I woke up, and two guys are holding me up, looking at me a little concerned. I said, how long was I out? They said, the ambulance is on the way. And I was like, don't have health insurance yet? Let's cancel that ambulance and just get me home. We'll figure it out from here. So I got to the tent and then called Romy to come pick me up because I didn't want to drive home. And I just started sipping water. And I realized as soon as I took a bottle of water, man, I'd, I'd like another one of those and another one and another one. Come to find out, I had done like a 50-mile ride the day before. I was just massively dehydrated. I was so dehydrated that I actually blacked out, but I didn't know it because I wasn't thirsty. Sometimes you're so dehydrated, you're not really thirsty anymore. You don't realize that the thing that's missing is water. I just needed to be hydrated. I would have been fine. And the guy still joked me about it till this day. We haven't played paintball since then. Rivers of living water. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. When Jesus is talking about rivers of living water, it's not like a natural gift. 
It is the Holy Spirit. He's referring to the Holy Spirit. You see, in the Old Testament, they understood something, that water is everything. You're talking about a people that grew up in a pastoral environment with shepherding. They shepherded flocks. And when you're in charge of all these probably thousands of sheep or however many sheep you were in control of, water is everything. If you have no water, you're not going to survive. You're surrounded by desert, by wilderness. Water provides for the grass that grows, and it provides for uh, the thirst of the sheep and the shepherd as well. Water is everything. They knew this. They knew that water was everything. In fact, the two greatest needs that you see in a desert environment, isn't this interesting, are water and fire. You need fire. You need fire to keep warm. You need fire to be able to cook. We've been watching this series on uh, Amazon Prime called Alone. Has anybody seen that? Alone. They like put you out on an island and you, whoever survives there the longest wins. And I think the guy that did it before was like 52 days or something like that. And they had this one guy that showed up on his spot and they have access to fresh water, but he lost his, uh, his fire stick, the thing that you, what do you call it? A, uh, you know what I mean? Like a flint steel kind of thing. And uh, he lost it. And so he couldn't make a fire because it was too wet to kind of do it by friction. And this guy was like the ultimate outdoor survivalist. But he goes, if I can't make fire, I'm done. Like he already knew, if I can't make fire, I'll go home now because there's no way I can make it. Isn't that funny? Fire and water, the two requirements you need to live in that environment. The Old Testament culture of shepherding understood these two things. They knew that if you don't have fire and you don't have water, you're not going to survive. So they also knew that if you want to ruin somebody, just cut off their water supply. Pretty simple, right? I don't have to attack you. I don't have to go to war. I just got to cut off your water supply. So what happened is when they would encounter an enemy, they would often somehow shut off that water supply from their enemy. So along comes this man named Abraham. Anybody ever heard of Abraham? Father Abraham, you have many sons, and I am one of them, and so are you. This guy named Abraham, God chooses him, and the covenant that we live in now first came to Abraham and now flows through us. Abraham was kind of the father of the faith, and God blessed him, and he said, I'm going to bless you, and all nations on earth will be blessed through you. So everywhere Abraham went, the guy's just blessed. So this is how, how blessed Abraham is. Abraham would show up to a place that was dry, that was barren. People were just give, getting by, and he'd show up in the middle of this dry place, and he'd just go, let's dig a well here. And his people would start digging wells, and boom, fresh water. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine, like you've been slaving hard in a dry place just to get by, and then this guy, Johnny come lately, comes by and goes, I'm just going to dig a hole right here, and boom, plenty of fresh water right there. And he did it time and time again. Abraham would just show up. This wasn't because Abraham was great at digging wells. This was because the blessing that was on Abraham. See, the blessing of Abraham means you can show up to dry places and find your own source of water. So he would go to another place and go, oh, look, no one's here. Isn't that great? Imagine if you were in business and you went to a place where everybody's tried, but nobody's cracked the code. No one's gotten in and made the sale. You just show up and go, I'm just going to dig here. It doesn't matter what the demographics are. It doesn't matter whether this is a looks like a fertile field. It's not fertile, but watch this. Boom, dig a well, water, instant wealth. Instant wealth, instant family security. Instant notoriety, instant life, because everywhere Abraham went because of the blessing that was on his life, every time he dug a well, boom, streams of living water would flow up from the earth every single time. It's not fair. I love what Bishop T.D. Jake says, favor ain't fair. He had favor. Do you understand that we walk in the same blessing that Abraham then? Because that blessing, by faith, we inherit the same promise that was to Abraham. That every place we set our foot, that was a great scripture that he read, every place that we set our foot, God has already given it to us. Dig a well, you're going to find some water. So I stop looking for places that already have water. Because wherever I dig a well, 
I'm going to find fresh water. But then Abraham dies. He goes to be with God in heaven. And guess what the Philistines did? Those were the neighbors who were trying to make the dry places work. Have you ever been in a place where you try to make the dry place work? Like this is just dry and I'm working so hard and I'm getting nowhere. That's what was happening to the Philistines. And so they're trying to make this dry place work. And they see Abraham, their neighbor, blessed and multiplying and increasing and multiplying and increasing. So as soon as Abraham dies, guess what they did? They went and filled in his wells. Filled them in. Now, if I was the Philistines, at least I would have taken possession of the well so that I could benefit from the water. But you see, that's not the way the enemy works. That's not the way the world works who aren't a part of the same covenant that we are a part of. They would rather do without the water themselves than to see you experience the blessing of God in your own life. It's easier to fill a well than it is to take possession of it. Because my goal is not just to have what you have. My goal is that you don't have what I don't have. You see, the enemy wants you to experience his lack and not God's abundance. If I can't have rivers of living water, then you can't have it either. If I got kicked out of heaven, then I'm going to make sure you never go either. If I can't have life to the full, then you will never experience life to the full. That's what the enemy does. He fills in the wells. But Abraham's got this son, Isaac. Do you know one of the descriptions of God is that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, it never meant to stop with Abraham. God never describes himself as just the God of Abraham. He's the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Tyler and Romy and Bella and Caleb and even Richard. He's the God of all of us. So Isaac's left without the inheritance. He's left with what was is no longer there. Because the Philistines, the enemy, just kicked it in and filled it full of dirt. Have you ever felt like somebody just filled in your well? Have you ever seen the blessings of what once was? Rummy's in his class, or actually finished his class on revival history. And you you read of these incredibly great revivals. Azusa Street was unbelievable. And you read of of all of these, I mean, even the Reformation itself, I've been reading about Martin Luther a little bit, that was a massive revival. And you read about these and you go, what happened? Why didn't we stay there? Why didn't it increase and get better? Why didn't we dig more wells? Because somewhere along the line, somebody died, somebody was no longer leading the revival, and the enemy came in and filled in the wells again. So Isaac is faced with a bit of a tricky situation. But Isaac knows that same blessing flows to me. So he goes back to the places long devastated, and he redigs the wells of his father Abraham. He goes back to the exact same place that was once dry, then flowed, but was made dry again, and he re-digs the wells and opens it up once again. Because he's not content to just go, well, that was my dad. I'm going to have to live in lack because of what everybody else did to me. He goes, no, no, no. That same blood flows through me. The same promise flows to me that flew to flew, flowed to my dad. It flows to me as well. It says in Genesis chapter 26, I didn't give them the scripture, so I'm just going to read it to you. But if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 26 and verse 15 is where I'm going to begin. And this is the story of what Isaac did. So all the wells that his father's servant had dug In the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us. You've become too powerful for us. 
So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar, where he settled. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave them the same names his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herders of Gerar, man, there's always herders of Gerar. They've been in the same place and it's all they know is stopped up wells. The herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac and said, this water is ours. Now, hang on. You didn't even know there was water there. You're claiming something as your own that you never had access to. It doesn't belong to you. But they say this water is ours. So he named the well Esek, which means dispute, because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also. So he named it Sitna, which means opposition. Two wells. He moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth, which means room, saying, Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac had to dig three wells. The first one was named Dispute because they disputed with him. So he goes, fine, this is going to be a dispute. I'm not going to dispute. I'm going to dig another well. He digs well number two, and he names that well opposition because now he's being opposed in this well. Abraham doesn't, sorry, Isaac doesn't resist. He just goes, fine, I'm going to dig a third well. And this well, there's no opposition. There's no disputing. So he calls it room because God had now made room. For them. Can I show you that this is a picture of revival? God wants us to allow Him to redig the well of our own heart. He wants us to unstop the things that have filled in our well so that rivers of living water can flow from us. You see, the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament was that in the Old Testament, you had to go dig a well, and then you had to live around the well. You couldn't depart too far from the water because you had to be near the water source. So it was fairly stationary. But in the New Testament, Jesus says, if you believe in me, rivers of living water will flow from you. Oh, what's the difference? I'm not stuck next to a stationary well. I become the well. The water now flows from me. So then I can seek out dry places. I don't have fear of dry places where Abraham would find a place and he'd start digging a well. Now, if I'm living in faith, if I've uncorked the well of my own heart, then I can go to dry places. And guess what happens when I show up in a dry place? It doesn't stay dry anymore. Because I have streams of living water flowing from me. Romy was telling us a story in our prayer meeting about how, you know, for years she walked, she still walks around our neighborhood praying for our neighbors. Can I tell you that in that process of walking the neighborhood, it was five years of praying for individual houses and getting prophetic words over them and just, just praying and, and inviting people to church and telling them about Jesus. And for five years, do you know how many people we saw saved in five years of all that praying? None. Zero. Five years in faith, believing, digging wells, nothing. And then one day, God gives her a very specific word of knowledge. It's a longer story that's her story to tell. But to make this story short, one girl, who's the roughest girl in our neighborhood, got saved that day. And it sparked a revival in our neighborhood that over a six-month period, 
220 people ended up getting saved in our neighborhood. Sometimes you dig a well and you find water, but you end up in a dispute. And then you got to dig another one. Fine, I'll dig another well. And you dig that second well and you run into some opposition. And you go, all right, I'll try again. And you dig a third well and you find room. When you commit yourself to a life of continuous personal revival, when you decide, all right, Lord, I'm not going to play church anymore. I'm not going to play Christian anymore. I'm not going to say the right things. I'm not going to try to do the right things. I am completely spiritually naked before you. I am opening up my heart to you that you can put your finger on any place in my heart that you want. And the first time you do that, can I tell you, it is not the most comfortable thing in the world. Because God goes, oh, okay, let's talk about this anger issue. Actually, he doesn't want to talk about it at all. He just puts his finger on it and goes, yeah, that's, that's, that's number one. Like, all right, Lord, I surrender that area of my heart to you. I repent of the anger. I confess that as sin. I repent. Fill me again, Lord. And you receive that release and the well gets unstopped and you, there's water here and you see it. But then you get opposition because there's more wells to be dug. And he goes, all right. What are we going to do about this lust issue? Well, hang on, God. I, I opened up my heart. You showed me the thing. We're good now, right? And he goes, no, no, no. What about the lust? You're like, man, I, I thought this was like a one-time deal. Can't you just hocus-pocus me and abracadabra and everything goes away? Isn't that what salvation is? I, I raise my hand and I say a prayer. You fix everything and now we're good and we go on. It's like, oh, no, no, that's, that's salvation. But salvation means saved, healed, and delivered. You got the saved part. We still got some deliverance to do. We got some wells to dig. And he goes, what about the lust? And you go, okay. God, I confess this to you as sin. And I repent of the lust in my heart. I repent that I've settled for less than your best for my life. Would you fill me again, Lord? And then he gets rid of that thing and you see the water again. Sometimes it's more than just two wells. And boy, digging up wells and redigging wells. Do you know the hard part about redigging wells? Is every time you dig, you go, why in the world did I let this happen? Why in the world? It would have been easier to stop the Philistines and redigging this well again. Because filling in wells is a whole lot easier than digging it out digging it out. Yet it's exactly what God wants to do. And he wants to touch on different areas of our heart because he sees what's about to flow. When you look at a stopped up well, you don't see the water. You just see the crap stopping it up. And when you start digging and start doing that work, it's not fun because it kind of gets nastier as you dig down. But then the sand starts to get a little moist and you dig down a little further and now it's kind of getting wet. And then it starts to cave in a little bit, and you start to see a little bit of the trickle. And before you know it, you're looking at clear crystal water. That's the third well. And when you get to the third well, there's room. I talked about this guy at this conference who had this prophetic word for, for Romy and I, and the church actually. And I told you about the healing that came, and the healing was great. That's a great personal thing for me, but the healing was actually what opened the door for the prophetic word that he had after that. And he told me, he said, God has a space for you. God has a space, and he has a place for you. Meaning not just Romy and I, but seashore. And I was like, wow. And he goes, your, your wife plays piano, right? She's piano. I didn't say anything. He goes, no, guitar. She plays guitar. I was like, yes. He says, and with her guitar, she's going to help lead this new revival that's coming. 
an apostolic church that's not like an apostolic center that's not like anything else. And he said again, God's got a space and God's got a place for you. You know, you hear that stuff and you're like, oh, that's cool, great. But we're good. I'm not going to go try to make something happen, but we'll, we'll wait and see. And so after that process, I think in the moment, we were actually meeting in the synagogue. If you didn't know, we, this whole church kind of sort of started in a living room. But then the first place that we got was actually in a, a synagogue. Over in the Green Run area was our first meeting place. How many of you were in the synagogue? Remember the synagogue? Remember that? Yeah. It's a good space. But that synagogue was actually in transition. They were trying to sell the building, so we actually kind of got in. I said, look, we're not in a position to buy it, but we'd like to rent from you on Sunday nights while it's for sale. And they said, yeah, but as soon as it sells, you got to go. I said, that's cool. We, we get that. But something about this building kind of felt like um, we were doing spiritual warfare every Sunday before our service. We really were. Because there was stuff that had been happening, and I don't even know why it was there, but I just knew that there's some stuff in here. And so every Sunday we'd come in, and we'd cast things out, and welcome things in, and we'd have a great service. And then we'd come back the next week, and we're like, oh, okay, we got to cast some stuff out again. We're going to cast some stuff out and welcome some stuff back in. There was a bit of dispute that was going on. Ended up that the building uh, got sold, which was actually great for the congregation, so we needed to find a new space. And through a friend, we kind of found this place here where we're meeting now. I thought, this is great. What a great time and season for us. The transition happened pretty smoothly for us, pretty quickly. And, and we realized, oh, this is in the town center area, someplace we've been looking at. And it's kind of good for us. But at the same time, there's also been some opposition since we've been here. Some of it's been spiritual. It has nothing to do necessarily with uh, any one person, and some of it's been a little human, <laughs> if that makes sense. And I think us being here has been great for us. It's been great for them, but if you're not used to that paradigm, sometimes it can ruffle a few feathers. And so we actually found out, as I'm telling you guys, that uh, we got our 60-day notice this week that they want to end the contract with us uh, from actually meeting here. It's all good. But as I sat there and I went, oh, wow, that was, was an interesting email to get, you know. And then I felt the peace of God over this. I went, okay. Remember a couple of weeks ago? This is before I got that email. And I said, I just feel like God's stirring the waters again. Like he did at that, the, the pool, the Bethesda pool. When people get healed, when the angels stirred the waters. God's up to something very interesting here. There's a lot of stuff that's been happening over the last couple of weeks. Some doors that have been opening. Some things have been changing. And so the word that Brent got about transition was pretty appropriate for what's happening with us right now. And so I'm not freaked out whatsoever because our church has never actually been about a building anyway. It's never been about a building. It's been about what God's doing in the spirits of the people that are connecting to what he's doing in our city, whether it's through Seashore or other cities or other churches or anybody that's committed to this lifestyle of revival is starting to experience streams of living water. And so I had prepared this message tonight to talk about how to uncork the stream and how all these things I was going to go in this direction. And then I just sitting at my kitchen table this morning, and I couldn't get past this scripture in Genesis 26 that I just read to you about these three wells. And then we're sitting there in our pre-service prayer meeting, and Romy starts telling that she doesn't know what I'm, because we never talk about <laughs> what we're going to preach about. Um, and she starts telling the story about the wells, and, and she's reading this story in our prayer meeting. And I was like, isn't that funny? And as she's telling the story, God said, get ready to dig your third well. I'm like, what do you mean? Because you've, you're in your second well now. This is our second meeting place that we've had. And we have been incredibly grateful and blessed to be here. Incredibly grateful and blessed to be here. They, they really welcomed us with open arms in a time when we needed it. 
but sometimes things change over time. But there has been disputing. There has been opposition. But as the Lord told us in Pennsylvania a couple years ago, there is room. There is a space. Now, I'll be honest with you. I hate coming to you without saying, and here's the space. Because I don't know what it is. Everything in my leadership stuff wants to go, don't tell people until you have the solution. Because you're just going to unsettle them. Just figure it all out, do the hard work, get a couple people praying about it, and then tell the church, hey, this stops, but here's where we're going. But that's not who we are. That's not what flows in you. And it's not what flows in me. But I can tell you that God has spoken to us. And there is a Rehoboth moment for us. That God has room for us. I have never sought out a building. I've never sought out a specific space. I look at them all the time. I drive by and I'm like, Brent, would you look this one up and tell me who's selling this and how much it's for? And I'm doing it all the time. So I'm always thinking about it. But I know that it's not actually what we need. But if you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, then all these things will be added unto you. So now I know when it comes to a space for us, I know what God said. And I know that if we seek His kingdom first, then these things will be added. I'm not worried. I'm not sweating it. We're working hard. And we've got some options that are out there right now. There's one particular area that Romy and I are really, you know, in our board and, and, and a couple of our intercessors are really pursuing right now. That it's like, when I say pursuing, I mean pursuing God on this. And to be honest, this, this space that we're thinking about, they have experienced great opposition for this space. Not with us, but with someone else. And so I'm looking at it and going... All right, Lord, I know that wherever we set our foot, streams of living water will flow. I know that wherever we go, if we just undig the wells in our own heart, that we will bring water to the places where we go. So I'm not really looking for a well-watered place. I'm looking for a dry place. Don't worry, we're not moving into the hood Maybe close. Why not? See, that's what I love. He just said, why not? That's revival. Why go to a place that somebody else is watering? Why not seek out the dry places? Hey, the most expensive neighborhoods in Virginia Beach can still run just as dry as the hood. So that's why I don't want to just go, I want to move to the, the worst ghetto possible. That's where I'm going to start the church. Because I also don't want to go, I'm going to move to the best neighborhood in Virginia Beach and find what's there because that's where the resource is. I want to hear what God has for us. And I've learned to be a little bit, I've learned, learning, to be a little bit slow. Take my time. Make sure that you've heard God. Because I know you haven't done this, but I've had plenty of times when I'm pretty sure I heard what God said and I ran ahead. And God's like, yeah, no. But I'll tell you what else, we're also a couple, and we are a church that when God does speak, there is no hesitation. I mean, there is no hesitation. So I'm asking you to pray with us, for us. This is your home. This is our home. I know that in the natural, this would be a great moment for me to come up here and go, you know what we need to do? We need to raise this much money to begin a capital campaign to go find us a building. And I'm not against that. But that's not what God said. Because the fact is that we don't need your money. We don't need your talent, your gift, your energy, your time. We need your water. We need your living water. 
Because you've got living water that I need. And I've got living water that you need. And for you to live a life of continuous revival means that that's going to require you to surrender some areas of your heart, not to me, not to the church, but to Him. See, because when your heart overflows with rivers of living water, then the things that everybody works hard for in the natural just become a natural part of your overflow. Does that make sense? Next week, we're going to be talking about the fruit of the Spirit. One of those fruits is joy. That when you have rivers of living water that are flowing from you, joy just comes out. It just comes out. I know when it comes to giving, the Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver or God loves a joyful giver. See, I know that when God uncorks the stream in your own heart and when you start to overflow, joy flows out of you. And God doesn't love a cheerful giver because he wants you to smile when you write the check. He loves a cheerful giver because it shows that it's flowing from you because the river is bringing out joy. Your cheerful giving is a reflection of the river that flows from you. I can inspire. I can talk you into a lot of stuff. But I don't want to do that. We need your water. And I would encourage you that if you want to live a life of continuous revival, let God touch those areas of your heart. Let's uncork the stream and see God move. Amen? This might end up being a four-week series uh, because there's a lot I didn't touch on today. But water is everything. It really is everything. I remember, we'll finish with this. Dave and I took our boys to, uh, two of our boys, I think two of our boys, on a whitewater rafting trip to West Virginia, the New River and the Golly. I don't know if you guys have ever been up there before. I'd never been whitewater rafting before. So I remember they said, we got one that's kind of nice and easy and one that's a little bit less nice and easy. And so we took the first, you, th- you know, you take the nice and easy one the first day. So like, oh, this is actually kind of cool. It's slow, but it's cool. And then we went on the one that was like, supposed to be the rougher one. I can't remember which one was which. And I'm taking my boys out and I'm kind of like, Dave, and we're like, are our boys going to be okay here? Is this going to be all right? You know, like, yeah, it's okay. And it got pretty rough in spots, you know, and we're going past these, uh, these rapids and we're like, okay, this is cool. And if you fall out and you're going to fall out, this is going to happen and all this kind of stuff. And, and uh, they kept telling us about these undercuts. Now, an undercut is where water disappears under a rock. And he said, that's what you got to avoid if you end up in the water because you'll go under the rock instead of over it and you'll get stuck and all this water is on you and it's just going to, that's how people drown. So here's how to get out from the undercut. And so I'm, I'm, here's what I'm doing. I'm on the river and I'm like, undercuts. Oh, there's one, right? Yeah, yeah. He goes, that's one over there. And then he paddled over to this kind of little cave out of it. And this cave was as high as the ceiling. That's about a good analogy, isn't it? It was as high as the ceiling. And he goes, this is one of the undercuts I was talking about. And I'm going, where? He goes, there. I said, what do you mean? Wait a minute. Do you mean the water gets higher than the top of this roof? Like equivalent to the top of that roof? He goes, yeah. This is, I thought he meant like this little thing. He's like, no, this massive undercut. This is, I said, how high does this water get? He said, the water gets at least 30 to 40 feet higher than what it is right now. We were in a trickle, and I thought I was in the rapids. He said, but you can get on a website and check the flow rate and see how fast the river is flowing on any particular day because they measure this thing. And here I was thinking I was in a raging river, and it was a trickle. I want to measure the flow rate of my heart. I said a couple of months ago that Our scoreboard here, if you could have a visible scoreboard, there's not, but I love that half of you look that way anyway. If we had a scoreboard on here, it had two things. Was God here, and did we do what he said? And I felt this week God added another one. What's the flow rate of your heart? What's the flow rate? Because if it's the natural state of a believer, that it's a heart that overflows with all of the fruit of the Spirit, with power, 
then what's your flow rate like? It's not supposed to be the little trickle that we were in. And I think some of us have been in this little trickle thinking we're in the rapids. And God goes, "Uh uh-uh. There's so much more. There's so much more. And I thought it was the rains that caused the flow rate to increase. I said, is it like snow melt? Is it like the rainy season that does it? And they said, no, no, no. It's not the rain from heaven that causes the flow. We have a dam upriver. We control the flow rate. Twice a year, they open up the dam, and that's what causes the river to rage. You mean you can control the flow rate of this river? I don't have to wait for it to rain. I don't have to wait for snow to melt. You mean just by removing this massive obstacle, this river will be a raging flow? He said, yeah, we time it. All the major white water after people in the world come on this date because they know that's exactly when it's going to rage. It blew my mind. And I said, that's a picture of our heart. You control the flow rate. The amount of surrender that you live with, the amount of areas you let God touch will determine the flow that happens in your heart. Next week, we're going to talk about a couple of those things that are actually stopping up the dam. And I want to give you some tools to help remove some of that stuff. Will that be fair? Will you come back next week to get an even bigger and better message? That's the way it always works, right? Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in our hearts, Lord God. I thank you that what you've called for us is a raging river. That when the river flows in our own hearts, Lord... It takes every ounce of pollution away with it. Every can, every wrapper, every bit of dirt. I thank you that it just, nothing can stand in its path. It flushes out all the stuff that's built up from the little trickle. God, I pray that you would help us locate the areas of our heart that you want to touch, the blockages that you want to deal with, that you want to help us surrender over to you, that we would flow with rivers of living water, God, I thank you. There is a space. There is a place for us. Thank you, Lord God. We don't see it yet, but you do. Our eyes are fixed on you, the author and the perfecter of our faith. God, we commit our ways to you so that our thoughts can be established. We seek your kingdom first, and all these things will be added unto us. We're not seeking the things and missing the kingdom. We're seeking the kingdom, knowing that you're bringing the things that we need. I thank you, Lord. There is continuous personal revival that's happening in this church. And for every heart that is committed to you, Lord, we speak the blessing of Abraham over it. That every place you set your foot is already given to you by the Lord. That wherever you dig a well, fresh water comes up. Thank you, Lord God. You are good. You are good, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. He's good. He's good. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com.